نحمده ونصلي ونسلم على سيدنا ومولانا محمد رسوله النبي الأمين المكين الحنين الكريم الرؤوف الرحيم أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم أم كنتم شهداء إذ حضر يعقوب الموت إذ قال لبنيه ما تعبدون من بعدي قالوا نعبد إلهك وإله آبائك إبراهيم وإسماعيل وإسحاق إلها واحدا ونحن له مسلمون صدق الله مولانا العظيم انسبكتد شيوخ علماء scholars, a'immah, community leaders, and honorable ladies and gentlemen. Alhamdulillah ta'ala, this is the third lecture of our series of lectures, and I hope you have already been informed about the scheme and order of lectures through some letter. This is my assumption. But I would again like to reaffirm that the scheme of lectures in this series would be This first two or three lectures and two days lecture would be the last of that part. These lectures deal with the subject of authority of Sunnah in the light of Holy Quran. After clarifying the position and status of the significance of Sunnah and its authority. And I will emphasize and I will try to substantiate and explain this topic just in the light of Quran. I will quote the Hadith of Holy Prophet in order to elaborate the idea, to substantiate the main theme, to explain and exemplify whatever it has been, whatever I have established through Holy Quran. But my main emphasis of the evidence and argument would remain on Holy Quran because the case which we are dealing with or you can say the petition which has been filed by those who deny the authority of Sunnah in Islam, those who do not appreciate properly and perfectly the significance of Sunnah, the relevance of Sunnah, the inevitability of Sunnah, indispensability of Sunnah as an independent permanent, absolute, and unchallengeable, and unquestionable authority in Islam. So those who do not, who are unable to appreciate the disposition and authority of Sunnah, since they are challenging the authority of Sunnah itself, 
so it would not be appropriate to establish the authority of sunnah through sunnah and hadith because according to them sunnah itself is in question this is the basic problem they don't appreciate the link between quran and sunnah they are unable to understand the indispensable relationship reciprocal relationship interdependent relationship of quran and sunnah they don't understand what they say they say that we just accept quran we just accept the authority of quran in order to establish the laws of sharia the rules of sharia the matters of faith islamic faith whatever we want to derive we would like to derive it just from the text of quran it don't they don't give the same weightage to the text of sunnah as they give to holy quran so that's why i chose to establish the authority and significance of sunnah through quran and not through sunnah and hadith if i take the matter of hadith then the evidences can go beyond 1000 just on this particular single subject so my concentration would remain on quran but i would quote hadith and sunnah to elaborate to exemplify and to substantiate the thing i hope this would be the last lecture on this particular topic next two lectures would be on the subject of history of compilation of sunnah these are the foundational lectures before we start the studying of text of bukhari and muslim these are prerequisites to understand the position of hadith what hadith is so next two lectures would be on the subject of history of compilation of sunnah while discussing the hadith a uh, history of compilation of sunnah i want take the subject of compilation of bukhari muslim abu daud tirmizi nasai ibn maja and so forth and so forth because these this period of compilation is already well known the criticism that is made on the subject of the history of compilation that is just related to the first two centuries before sahih bukhari sahih muslim and these books were compiled right starting from the period of holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself then the period of companions then the period of their followers and then the period of their successors this is ahdus sahaba ahdur risala ahdu sahaba ahdu tabi'in ahdu atba'i tabi'in before imam bukhari and muslim they both start their work of compilation so these first two centuries normally it is wrongly perceived that there is a vacuum when ahadith of holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not exist in written form and all of a sudden after two centuries imam bukhari and certain other imams and their shuyukh they started the work of compiling the hadith so they think because of the this you can say so called or self perceived period of which they say vacuum so i would try to fill that period so my discussion would be just confined to those first two centuries and we will try to rebut and refute the allegation that hadith was not in recorded form in first two centuries so we have to establish this thesis that it was existing in a full recorded form even in the holy prophet's period then companion's period then the period of their successors and the period of their followers so there was never any vacuum as far as the hadith records are concerned so we will deal two sessions will deal with this aspect then after completing the subject of authority of sunnah and history of compilation of sunnah then we will start the subject for two sections and that subject would be the basic principles of science of hadith with particular reference 
to Sahih Hadith Sahih Hadith Al-Hasan Al-Hadith Al-Da'if after these six lectures in total then inshallah the next lecture we will start introducing Bukhari and Muslim and their Jamia As-Sahih of Bukhari and Jamia As-Sahih of Muslim and then we will be able to start the text of Sahih Bukhari and Muslim then we will start the study of textual study of Bukhari and Muslim of course inshallah I will take into consideration remaining four books of Siyasitta all with me main text for study would be Bukhari and Muslim and Abu Dawood, Tirmazi, Nasai and Ibn Majah would be included in our study just to interpret the things, to elaborate the things, to substantiate the things. So in a way you will be in a position to have a study of the full six books of Siyasitta. But the main emphasis will remain on the texts of Bukhari and Muslim, inshallah. This would be the scheme of our lectures. I don't feel any need to repeat precisely even whatever I have already stated in my last lecture. I want to save my time for the new subject. So you have the DVDs and cassettes so you, you can uh, reconnect your memories through the CDs and DVDs with the last lectures. The basic thing in order to understand the significance of Sunnah and authority of Sunnah in Islam, what is the basic problem which lies with this thing? The basic problem which becomes an intercepting factor, intervening factor, which becomes, you can say, a main hindrance in order to appreciate the status of Sunnah and the significance of sunnah and authority of sunnah the factor behind it is that some people they are unable to appreciate the status esteemed status and esteemed station of prophethood and risala and messengership these two concepts are deeply and interdependently connected with each other. They are reciprocally interlinked. You can't separate these two concepts from each other. The concept of Risala and concept of Sunnah or authority of Sunnah. If you are able to appreciate the real significance of the status of Risala in the teachings of Islam, you would never get confused in order to appreciate the authority of sunnah and its status. That is the main root cause why people get confused on the subject of the authority of sunnah because they have not properly appreciated the concept of risala. And unfortunately why they are unable to understand and appreciate the concept of Risala? Again, there is a question. Answer to this is that they are unable or they have not been enabled through the scholars by the some scholars and the preachers and the speakers and some many books written on these kind of subjects. They have not been enabled to understand and to appreciate the necessary and indispensable and reciprocal I am using three words necessary indispensable and reciprocal interdependent relationship between Tawheed and Risala these are the three stages first of all you have to understand the reciprocal link and relationship between the concept of Tawheed and concept of Risala. Some people try to understand Tawheed in totally in an independent and exclusive perspective. And they try to understand the status of Risala again in an exclusive and isolated perspective. If you isolate both from each other, Tawheed and Risala, you are neither able to understand Tawheed nor able to understand Risala. 
these are the root causes where all these kind of misunderstandings and confusions have emerged from. If the people, they don't pay attention on these things. In all our Islamic centers and various mosques you go, these kind of subjects normally are not taken into consideration. Very good subjects are being discussed for upbringing of children, social subjects, domestic subjects, subjects related to our moral values, human values, day-to-day -day life. Nice subjects are always being discussed, I hear. But at the same time, the primary significance has to be given to Aqidah. If you lack any clarity in your Aqidah and Iman, and you are confused and you have ambiguous concept of Tawheed and Risala, so it would be a damaging thing for your Iman. And rest of the things would automatically, they will go waste. So we have to appreciate and we have to try to understand. Please concentrate on my words. We have to try to appreciate and understand the reciprocal link, interdependent link, inseparable link, inseparable, absolutely and categorically inseparable link between Tawheed and Risala. It doesn't mean that Tawheed becomes Risala or Risala becomes Tawheed. Mixing each other is a different thing. That's wrong. But to considering both interdependent, indispensably linked with each other and totally inseparable from each other, that is a totally different thing. So... Here is the problem. Inshallah, each and every topic will naturally come in our discussion while studying the Sahih Bukhari's text and Sahih Muslim's text. Nothing will remain out. Bukhari, Muslim, these are so comprehensive books. Each and everything from major topics to minor topics would be covered in the text of Bukhari, Muslim, Inshallah. Our these six or seven lectures are the foundational lectures. I know these things were never delivered. These were never written in the way which I want to present so that step by step all ambiguities and confusions keep on going and removing and your mind will keep on getting clarities on the subjects. So today I am starting this subject from a verse which I have already recited and that is verse of Surah Ashura, verse number 51. This is one of the Quranic verses, one of many verses, which indicates the reciprocal and inseparable link between Tawheed and Risala. This is one of the verses. And a very interesting thing, this is the verse I interpreted. I wrote the commentary of this particular verse in 1978. It means 32 years back. Interesting thing, historical memory came to my mind. That book is also published. Its name is Nizamul Mustafa. This is a verse where Almighty Allah mentions, narrates a story whereby Sayyidina Yaqub al Islam he asks before his holy demise his sons. He asked, whom will you worship after me? Whom will you worship after me? So he wanted to listen and answer from them. This was the question he wanted to know that how are they recognizing their God? Which is the way they are trying to identify their God, whom they are going to worship to. This was the question. Ma ta'buduna min ba'di. That's why I said it would be very beneficial for our brothers and sisters if they all of them possibly may bring their notebooks and they take their notes 
because normally 75% of the material you won't find in the books of tafsir and other things. More than 75%. Except the references of Quran and Hadith. But the way you will get the elaboration, normally these are the original things. So it's better to make your own notes and to keep record. My main concern during my stay here in Canada is to prepare at least one to two hundred spokesmen and scholars. Just one to two hundred. So that they may deliver to young next generation. That's why I have not opted to give my lecture to speech to general public to thousands of the people. I have not opted for that. I opted to special the learned people, the scholars, the community leaders, those who can communicate the things to others. So I want during my this stay, then I go back maybe any time. It's better if I could prepare one to two hundred people who may deliver for to next gen generations. So he asked, Ma ta'buduna min ba'di? Qala li banihi ma ta'buduna min ba'di? Whom would you worship after me? The answer could have been very simple. We would worship Allah. Na'budu Allah. If they had said this, it would have been very simple, straightforward, categorical answer. This is how we perceive Tawheed to in two days. This is our way of perceiving or conceiving Tawheed or appreciating Tawheed. That they said, there's no problem. Alhamdulillah, we are Mu'min now and we believe in you and we believe in Almighty Allah. We will pray, we will worship Almighty Allah, Ilahan Wahida, whom we believe in. But this was not the answer. Probably Sayyidina Yaqub al-Islam didn't want to hear this answer from them. That's why Almighty Allah has made this question and answer a part of his last book, the Holy Quran. If it was a very simple question and very simple answer, then there was no need of putting it in the text of Quran, in the last revelation to make it a part of Quran. Definitely there must be some very specific, special thing, an extraordinary thing in this question and answer. So Almighty Allah wanted to preserve this lesson for the Ummah of Holy Prophet. Question was of course simple. Whom would you worship after me? Now answer comes. They didn't say we will worship Allah. If they had answered this, they would have recognized Almighty Allah directly without any reference of Risala. They would have identified Almighty Allah without any reference of Prophet and Messenger. It was a very simple and direct answer. But they didn't answer in this way. They said, Kalu, so the, the scholars, they have not paid attention to this point. That's why you won't find this thing in tafsirs. This was neglect, this point was neglected. Quran says, Kalu na'budu ilahaka. We will worship the one who is your Lord. They are answering, we will worship the one who is who your Lord. We will worship your Lord. Your God. Wa ilaha abaika Ibrahima wa Ismaila wa Ishaq. And the one who was the God of your Aba, your ancestors, the one who was God of Ibrahim, the one who was God of Ismail, the one who was God of Ishaq. So they recognized Almighty Allah and they identified their ma'bud, their deity, to be worshipped through prophets and through messengers. With reference of the prophets and messengers. The God who was introduced to us by Ibrahim. The God who was introduced to us by Sayyidina Ishaq. The God who was introduced to us by Sayyidina Ismail. The God who has been introduced to us by you, O Sayyidina Yaqub, we will worship the same. So the, the main emphasis is that they are identifying Almighty Allah for their worship through Risala. And after this standard of identification, they say, Ilaham Wahidan. And we know, of course, He is only one. 
so they have not said like this nabudu ilahan wahidan they have not started from his oneness they have started identification with the reference of the prophets and messengers and then they have concluded he is the one lord banahnu lahu muslimun and we believe in him this is the sequence of identification of tawhid of realization of recognition of almighty allah that's why almighty allah states in surah al-an'am verse number 124 so the the risala has made has been made so significant this is the nucleus you know the the relevance of nucleus in a cell everything in, is included in nucleus everything revolves around it because you have to appreciate the concept of tawhid through the concept of risala so almighty allah says allahu a'lamu haythu yaj'alu risala almighty allah knows who deserves to be appointed as rasul as messenger where he has bestow his risala the word is risa another important thing he never says risalatan he says risalatahu the concept of messengership is not something independent which somebody has achieved through his efforts through his endeavors through long long the whole life studying through worshiping through spiritual efforts this is not something independent no no one no prophet and no messenger no one was able to become prophet on his own no one is able to become messenger on his own without bestowing of almighty allah this is a status which is exclusively bestowed by almighty allah which is conferred by almighty allah so when almighty allah introduces that the messenger possesses a status which is always conferred and bestowed by almighty allah and he knows almighty allah knows whom he has to bestow this status or this blessing on whom he has to confer this status on he knows it means that almighty allah doesn't want his messenger to be detached from him because he has bestowed this position and conferred this status on him so that he may represent him so that he may speak on his behalf so that he may communicate on his behalf so that he may act on his behalf so that he may command on his behalf so that he may prohibit on his behalf so that he may demonstrate on his behalf so he knows and he never wants that his messenger or his prophet and messengership and prophet should should be looked or should be appreciated in a detachment from his tawhid or from his own one oneness so prophethood and messengership should not be appreciated in an isolation whenever you will take this concept in isolation you will detract you will get astray so almighty allah says allahu a'lamu haythu yaj'alu risalatahu he knows that whom he has to bestow his messengership so risala please keep in your mind is not just messengership ar risala is not just the messengership no ar risala is his messengership so when you say messengership this sounds differently and when you positively and categorically 
अटैच मैसेंजरशिप विद द वर्ल्ड हिज मैसेंजरशिप सो इट मींस देयर इज सम इनडिस्पेंसेबल लिंक व्हिच नोबडी इज एबल टू डिस्कनेक्ट सो ही सेज रिसालतहु सो पीपल व्हेनेवर यू सी माय मैसेंजर्स डोंट सी हिम एज ए मैसेंजर सी हिम एज माय मैसेंजर डोंट लुक एट हिम एज ए प्रॉफिट नो कंसीडर हिम एज माय प्रॉफिट whatever he possesses he has not possessed or attained through his own personal efforts that is totally a divine gift from me i have bestowed him i have raised him up to that status i have raised him up to that position i have raised him in up to that esteemed position and place i have appointed him like that and then when he raises him he was among a human being but when he is raised to that particular status so that almighty allah may appoint him as his prophet and his messenger and his messenger mean now he has become his risala means niyabatan anhu wa risalatan anhu now he is acting on his behalf he has become his vice gerent he has become his deputy he has become his ambassador to the world of mankind he has become his demonstrative demonstrator almighty allah then gives him the dress of his love puts on him his dress dress he puts on of love then he chooses him and places him on the place of his beloved then he honors him with his kalam with his words then he brings him in his company nearness and extreme proximity to place him on the status of his now he says he is in this proximity says he is my representative oh people oh mankind now when he speaks to you don't think that he is speaking he is speaking on my behalf i have put my words in his heart this is a revelation this is the divine revelation i have revealed myself to him words and meanings when comes the matter of book the quran and i have revealed my will my meanings my wish my intents my preferences my priorities whatever i want you to do i i have revealed unto him in his heart and he is now speaking on my behalf he is now explaining on my behalf now if he commands don't think these are the commands of prophet these are my commands he never gives any commands on his behalf if he forbids and if he prohibits from anything don't consider that he has forbidden no he has forbidden on my behalf and then when he is obeyed don't think that he is being obeyed no through his obedience in fact i am being obeyed through him i am being obeyed and when he is followed he is not the one who is being followed on his own no my commandments are being followed when he informs in fact i am informing through him when he gives any news i am sending the news through him so this is the concept of risala that's why almighty allah says and confirms this thing in surah an-nisa verse number 64 wama arsalna mir rasulin illa liyuta'a bi'idhnillah we have never sent any messenger in this world to any nation to any community we have never sent wama arsalna mir rasulin illa this is the form of hasr it includes the emphasis and confinement of purpose exclusiveness of purpose the only purpose why we raise messengers to the mankind and to the communities is 
When Holy Prophet is acting, when Holy Prophet is demonstrating, when Holy Prophet is commanding, when Holy Prophet is prohibiting, he is saying, he is doing, he is approving tacitly or expressly anything. So whatever he conveys in the form of speech, in the form of an act, or in the form of any tacit approval, whatever he conveys, his conveyance is the conveyance of Almighty Allah. Allah is communicating through him. That's why obedience rendered to him is obedience rendered to God. In other place, coming to Holy Prophet ﷺ, he says in Surah An-Nisa, verse number 80, مَنْ يُتِئِ الرَّسُولَ فَقَدْ أَتَى اللَّهِ Then he is going beyond one step by step. Anybody, if anybody obeys a Rasul, my beloved Rasul wasallam. Fakad ata Allah. He has indeed obeyed God. And just please, if you concentrate on the wordings of this word, this is a very academic and grammatical aspect of appreciating. The first word, the verb used, that is muzare, the present and for future. Muzare is used for present and future times. May yuti'ir rasula. And ata'a is for past, it is past tense. It means he obeyed. And may yuti'i, yuti'i rasul means whoever obeys or whoever will obey. Two sen senses are included, two tenses. The present and future are included in mudari. So mayyuti rasul means whoever obeys when in the days of Holy Prophet those who were the first addressees and listeners from Holy Prophet the Sahaba in the present tense whoever obeys oh Abu Bakr, Umar, Usman and Ali oh Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, ibn Abbas, ibn Umar oh Bilal he is saying whoever obeys amongst you then at the same time, this word yuti'ir rasul, mudare, it implies on the future tense. And future tense goes up till the day of judgment for the ummah. You understand my point? Now, which were the present tense at that time, now it has become past. Now, Quranic verse is still alive and active and imperative and functional as it was functional in the days of Holy Prophet when he was addressing his nation in Medina. This verse is functional in the same way. So now just look at, try to listen this, these Quranic words, Almighty Allah's command. He is now addressing you because the verse is not expired. It is still fresh, still operative, still functional. Now Allah is saying to us, Mayyutir Rasul. Oh, people sitting in IMO, oh, people of Canada, oh, the Muslims of the Muslim world, oh, Muslims of the West and East and South and North, living all over the world in the globe of the earth. Mayyote Rasul, anyone amongst you today, if he obeys my Rasul. This is the meaning of present tense. So now this verse is addressing, this is how we have to derive the authority of Sunnah from Quran. Now the verse is addressing again in the same way as it addressed to Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Umar and Usman and Ali. At that time, they were the addressee of its present tense communication. Now we are the addressee. Oh, people living in the grove of earth, whoever amongst you obeys my beloved Rasul. And as far as the future tense is concerned, included in the same word. And those who will keep on obeying up till the day of judgment. Any time, any century, any place, any country. All those who are obeying now and all those who will obey up till the day of resurrection. 
this is the meaning of man yuti ar rasul now what is the answer to that faqad ata allah ataa this is this is not mudari this doesn't come for present tense and it doesn't come for future tense it comes for past tense and a very grammatical basic principle of deen and arabic language there was no need of using past tense here when for example if i say to you whoever comes here had already got everything whoever comes here had benefited a lot so what do you think is it a good proper correct sentence whoever comes here he had benefited a lot no one should say whoever comes here he will benefit a lot yeah he benefits a lot this is how the present tense should come with the present tense and the future tense would come should with the future tense but the first part of this verse the word that has been stated in the present and future tense mudari in arabic there are two common and the reply answer faqad ata allah that is the result that is the result that has been mentioned in past tense so the arabic way it has its own way of expression so when you use the past tense here the purpose is not to say something in past tense the purpose past tense is used to signify a thing to magnify its significance if you want to magnify if you want to increase if you want to enhance if you want to attract the people and magnify the significance and importance then in arabic the past tense is used to make it very categorical and unrefutable irrefutable one thing so almighty allah wanted to make this commandment irrefutable very significant categorical and he wanted to put some st- maximum strength in it then what did he say ata allah one and he added a word faqad that is ata allah the, the past tense comes for taqid for emphasizing anything and the word qad is also for letter of emphasizing letter of emphasis qad so here is emphasis plus emphasis the word qad comes for emphasis and ata the past tense it has already it has come for emphasis ata means he obeyed me obeyed so he doesn't want to say obeyed he want to emphasize ata then he added the word qad on ata qad is also a letter and a word of emphasis in arabic arab scholars they 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 can easily appreciate the thing so qad comes for taqid so here is emphasis plus emphasis two and another letter you see faqad ata allah letter fa it also comes for taqid this mode is never available in english language arabic language is very rich the richest language of the world fa is again for taqid so replying whoever obeys or will obey my holy prophet and my messenger then the answer to it has been given by three emphases fa number 2 qad and number 3 ataa the past tense he means that indeed definitely indeed no about although now the translator the translators they will never use these translate these words they will go on translating in a simple way how can a common reader appreciate the real message of quran through the translators of course if you go to my translation you won't found the same mistake there if you read irfanul quran my english translation i hope you will find a different translation there inshallah so quran says 
that if whoever obeys my messenger who obeys or who will obey my messenger he will indeed definitely undoubtedly he has obeyed me that no doubt should remain in his mind that whether we have obeyed almighty allah or not he has done and done and done he has obeyed me he has obeyed me he has obeyed me three times he have emphasized faqad and ata'a for who who obeys my messenger it means now no need to find any other path to obey me no need to find any other path to get any access to my obedience no need to find any other way to get close to me to get nearness from me to get my proximity to get my obedience to get my servanthood the one who obeys my prophet he has got everything he has fulfilled the right of obeying me this is the quranic verse the basic problem is that when when we read through translation translate can't communicate the real sense and message of almighty allah in the quran one has to know the basic grammatical and arabic rules linguistic rules next very important aspect which i will like to elaborate this almighty allah has mentioned two special blessings two special blessings on the ummah of holy prophet sir he has declared two blessings one blessing is the blessing of iman and guidance al iman wal hidayah he blessed the people the ummah with iman and guidance and he has mentioned one more special blessings with the world blessings although they are countless blessings when i am talking of when almighty allah has mentioned with the world blessed manallahu minnatan this specific word has been used in holy quran minnatan the second word minnatan is used for the raising of holy prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam these are two minnatan two special blessings which he has conferred on the ummah let me quote as far as the iman is allah's blessing in quran surah al-hujurat verse number 17 quran says yamununa alayka an aslamu qul la tamunu alayya islamakum balillahu yamunu alaykum an hadakum lil iman this is surah al-hujurat these people are showing off to you oh my beloved prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that they have done a favor to you by embracing islam say do not show off your islam as a favor to me instead allah is the one who has favored you by guiding you to iman to faith and provided you provided you the true belief so almighty allah says allah is the one who has favored who has blessed you with iman who has conferred the blessing of iman unto you balillahu yamunu alaykum this is the first verse of holy quran and the second he says in surah ali imran verse number 164 he says laqad manna allahu ala almu'minina iz ba'asa fihim rasula indeed again let me explain to you the same now i i hope you have understood the principle of fa and qaf and qad and these principles of emphasis come on again toward the world when almighty allah introduces the his minna his favor of iman just concentrate on the words quran is a very specific book every single word single verse 
and every single word and every single letter meaningful letter has a message in Quran it is not just like a, an English novel or a common book or a fiction you just keep on reading quickly and you will understand the theme no every single verse single word single letter possesses a message a meaning an implication and you can't replace any single word with other by other coming to this thing again then almighty Allah declared his favor of Iman the word used there is no special word of emphasis there is no special word of emphasis here the meaning is that say don't show off your Islam as a favor to me instead Allah is the one who favors you by guiding you to Iman these are the Quranic words. Please keep this sentence in your mind. Allah is the one who favors you by guiding you to Iman. This is the minnatul Iman, the blessing or favor of Iman. Now the second favor has been mentioned. Minna ba'sun nabiyyil Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The birth of Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And congratulations. Today we are sitting in the month which is the month of Al-Minnatul Uzma. The greatest favor of Almighty Allah ever bestowed on the mankind and the history of mankind. That Holy Prophet his birth took place in this month as an indication of his being raised to the mankind. And Almighty Allah is the one who has mentioned Holy Prophet's birth and raising as the great Minna of Almighty Allah the great blessing so that the Muslims are supposed to commemorate the great blessing of Almighty Allah in this month and to celebrate his blessing as gratitude to Almighty Allah and shukr to Almighty Allah in this month so come the word used for holy prophets the same word minna interesting he says laqad mannallahu alal when holy prophets raising has been declared as the minna then he doesn't use the common sentence or common way of expressing he says laqad again qad you have already known now it is for taqeed what, what is for taqeed special emphasis qad and the letter la is added to qad La is like Fa. The letter La is also for Taqid. La is for Taqid. These are not disputed things. These are unanimous grammatical and linguistic principles of Islam, of the Arabic. Laqad, before mentioning that my Prophet Muhammad is the greatest minna, the blessing of favor on the mankind, before saying this, stating this, he has put again two emphasis here. Emphasizes with two ways. Laqad, indeed, sure. But when we translate, problem is that when we translate it into English, the English language has not that much capacity to, to absorb all these measures of emphasis together. You can't use two words. The language becomes wrong. This is the beauty of Arabic language. Sometimes three letters of emphasis are to put together, but English can't contain it. You can't express with that. English language has its own limitations of composition. Quran says, Laqad, taqeed and taqeed, emphasis and emphasis, so that the people may become attentive to what I am saying. Almighty Allah indeed has conferred a great favor. The word great favor has come from faqad. Indeed, because there are two taqeeds. So one would be one taqid would be expressed by the word indeed, and other taqid would be expressed by the word great favor. This is how English language contains the things. Indeed, Allah conferred a great favor on the believers that He raised among them the most eminent messenger. 
So two favors and blessings have been mentioned. Now very important thing. And again, second verse comes with the same word, minna. Now the interesting thing is, two minna, two blessings has been mentioned. Iman is Allah's favor to mu'min, and Holy Prophet is Allah's favor on the moments. But Holy Prophet is a blessing as well as it is a, he is a blessing too, but as well as he is the means of receiving other blessings. Iman, be very clear. Iman is Allah's special blessing and Holy Prophet is Allah's special blessing. But let us try in both ways. Is Iman a means of blessing to Holy Prophet, to receiving Holy Prophet? Can anybody say that we had an access to Holy Prophet through Iman? We got an access to the prophethood and messengership of Holy Prophet by the means of Iman. The answer is no. Imans come later. Iman comes later. So this is the correct position that nobody ever heard about is Iman. Nobody had any access to Iman. Nobody had any concept of Iman in his mind and in his heart because the people were idol worshippers. They were Muslim. They were Kufar. They had no idea of Iman. So where they got the idea of Iman from? It was the Holy Prophet who was raised. They believed in him. And by believing in Holy Prophet, he led them to Iman and Hidayah. So Holy Prophet is the means to the second minna, second blessing. So Iman is just a blessing of Allah. And Holy Prophet is the blessing of Allah as well as the means to second blessings. So receives the priority. Iman of the pro or Prophet Muhammad. So tell me. Now today if you go to listen to other people, they can't differentiate, they can't appreciate these things. They will always say Iman is the first. Where this first Iman has come from? Who gave you this Iman? Is there anybody who can claim that I received Iman directly from Allah? If anybody has received Iman directly from Allah, then he can say the first blessing is Iman. Nobody received Quran directly from Allah. Nobody received Islam from Allah. Nobody get the cognizance and the marif of Kaaba from Allah. Nobody received the halal and haram from Allah. Nobody received Hidayah from Allah. Nothing. The people, they were lost. In the idols, in statutes. They had hundreds of gods, self-made gods. They had no concept of Iman and Tawheed and no concept of Hidayah and guidance. This was Holy Prophet Muhammad who was raised. And he invited the people to believe in him, in his Nabuwa and in his Risala by the command of Almighty Allah. So those who believed in him those who accepted him is Allah as Allah's messenger. Only they were able to be led to Iman. So by believing in Holy Prophet he held the hands of the people of his believers and Ummah and he led them to Iman and Hidayah. He led them to Iman because he was the caller. He was the one who invited them to Iman. Tell me, if you are invited to a particular dinner, Dinner comes first or invitation comes first? <laughs> Who comes first? Very simple thing. You are invited here to listen the lecture, to participate here. You are participating. So participation has come first or an invitation letter has come first? You are invited. So who invited the mankind to Iman? To the dinner of Iman? To the beauty of Iman? To participate in this beautiful uh, proximity, kurbat of Iman. Who invited? The one who invites the people to guidance to Iman and faith is known as the Rasul, the messenger. He invited the people to Iman in Almighty Allah. 
آمنو بے رب او پیپل کم آن اینڈ بلیو دیر از اے لارڈ ہو ہیو کریٹیڈ یو لات از ناٹ یور گاڈ منات از ناٹ یور رب ازا اینڈ ہو بول دیز آر ناٹ یور گاڈ سیلف کریٹیڈ دی اسٹیچوٹس آر ناٹ یور گاڈ دے آر ناٹ ورتی آف بینگ ورشپڈ کم آئی ٹیل یو Here is your Lord, the one who created the whole world, who is the cherisher of the whole world, who is the most merciful, who is the compassionate, ever merciful. He is the God. Come, I tell you this way. So he invited. He gave a call. He invited the people. Those who said, back on his invitation. But when you received the invitation letter, did you reply or not? You confirmed, said, yes, we are coming by your email. When you through your email said yes we are coming this is means labbaik we accept your invitation so those who accepted the invitation of prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam they became mu'min and those who became mu'min they were offered to sit here they were offered the dinner this is a common process in the whole areas all areas of your life same happens in islam now let me after this example now we come to quran the same thing has been explained in quran the people were in complete darkness the people quran says were in complete darkness surah al-jumu'ah verse number 2 almighty allah says in kanu min qablu lafi dalalim mubin Indeed, they were in open error, in open darkness, open misguidance before his most welcome arrival of Prophet Muhammad Before the most welcomed and honored arrival of Prophet Muhammad the people were in open error, in open darkness and misguidance. 